When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the TSL podcast, the premier podcast here in Virginia Tech sports. As always, I'm joined by Will Stewart and Chris Coleman, the head honchos here at TSL. And I just want to let you guys know, if you were not on the site last week that much, you need to go back. You need to look at a couple articles that we did. Uh, We did exclusive interviews with Wyatt Teller and Tim Settle. Those are subscription-only articles. And in a shameless plug for the website, I'm going to hand it over to Will Stewart, who has a great smile on his face right now, as he is excited to tell you guys why you need to subscribe to TSL. First of all, let's clarify, you did three articles on yes. Settle. And, and, and by we, what Ricky really meant was him. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one Fair who drove, drove all the way down to Atlanta. Uh, there were three articles, only two of them were subscribers. Yes. The third one was a free article. Yes, and the third one was 3,000 words. I think, and it had, it had interviews with uh, with both Wyatt and Tim and their agent, Andy Ross, who's a former Virginia Tech wrestler, uh, Ziggy Hood, a longtime NFL defensive tackle, and also Jay Caldwell, who is a technique coach uh, that has trained the likes of Justin Tuck and Courtney Upshaw, both names that any NFL football fan should know. Yeah, so oh, interesting stuff that it was a lot of detail about how guys prepare for the NFL, how those two particular guys are preparing for the NFL. So on the podcast, we don't do much pimping, but I'm getting ready to pimp. If you're out there and you're listening and you like the podcast and you've come to understand over the course of the few months we've been doing this, how incredibly brilliant we are, you know, (laughs) first of all, we're really smart and talented. And second of all, there's about 35 years of Virginia Tech sports coverage experience on Mm -hmm. this team of three guys. I think at this point we're almost at 40. We're pushing 40. If if we're not there already. Because I've been doing this since 1996. If we're not at 40, we're almost there. Chris has been here since 2005, and Ricky's going on his second year. And And I've actually got three years before I I came here. That's right. When I was a student. Yeah, and I had two years before I came here. No one else can even (laughs) remotely approach that. Sorry if I got a little excited there. But if you're out there listening and you don't subscribe, and, uh, you know, give it a try. It's $5.99 a month. Sign up for one month. See what you think. Um, it's the cost of a combo meal. I got people who email me all the time and say, can you give us a free trial? And I'm thinking, dude, it's five ninety nine. Just go ahead and sign up for a month, pay for a month. And I got an idea. If you, if you read it for a month and you don't like it, email me and I'll refund your five ninety nine. <laughs> so the other thing you're saying to yourself is why would I do that? Football season's over. Uh, that's part of the whole point about tech sideline is that we get you through that uh, time period between the end of football and the basketball, if you're a basketball fan. Yeah, we'll keep you going all year long. And that's part of why Tech Sideline, which originally started as Hokie Central, became so popular. When I started, really when any of us started back in 1995-96, your favorite school, your favorite team wasn't getting coverage year-round. The newspapers were sending guys to the games and sending guys to the press conferences, and that was it. And then we web guys started talking about tech sports all year round 
And now everybody does it. You know, Andy Bitter covers tech football all year round. Mm -hmm. Well, that didn't happen back then. So that's part of the appeal of, of what we do is we can keep you engaged and keep you interested and educate you all year round. Five ninety nine, go sign up. If you if you don't even have a free account with us, just go to the homepage. You'll see up in the corner it says log in or sign up. Click sign up and um, take it from there. You know, and again, if you don't like it after a month, you can cancel and email me and I'll give you your five ninety nine back. So there you go. One of the really nice things that, and again, I don't want to toot our own horn here a bit, but I think we have a pretty educated subscriber base. I feel like our subscribers are, are pretty well read in, in terms of tech history and what's going on with the program now, which is why the message boards are generally a great place to go if you have an issue that you want to bring up or, or something comes up like Adam Lechtenberg gets hired and we're going to talk about that in the podcast. So, so I'll give you an example of that. Just Justin Hamilton, what what uh, this is just breaking news. What yeah. happened with Justin? Uh, Justin he got, got hired as a, on the defensive Basically as a staff, defensive basically. support staff. Yeah. So, so Chris Coleman turns to me and goes, hey, you still have that picture of Justin Hamilton knocking that, you know, and I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, when he hit Hunter Cantwell in the 2005 Gator Bowl and Knocked his little... Uh, knocked his stuffing out of his nose. Knocked the stuffing yeah. out of his nose. Yeah, I got that picture. Because we already busted his nose earlier in the game. Oh, yeah, he was bleeding yeah. and they shoved some <laughs> cotton was, up his nose. It was a nose. tough game for Jeez. old Hunter. Yeah. So I go and I look in the archives and I pull out this picture of Justin Hamilton just busting Hunter Cantwell. And, and, he, <laughs> and he's hitting him with Daryl Tapp and, and... Carlton Powell. Carlton There's Powell's three, three former NFL players in the picture tackling poor Hunter Cantwell. So that picture was taken by Ivan Morozov, who is still our photographer, uh, Chris and I go back that far. I mean, where can you get that anywhere else? Cotton flying out of some quarterback's nose. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that we bring to the table. I can't dispute any of that. And now that we've got that the advertisement portion of the podcast over, I do want to get into Virginia Tech basketball. Guys, they picked up a huge win against Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame, this was on the road, but Notre Dame was down three starters in this game. They had a seven-man rotation. Um, and the, the the two guys came off the bench. Neither of them played more than fifteen minutes. Yeah. So it it, it was like almost like a six and was, a half man was, rotation. It was like a normal Virginia Tech lineup. Yeah. In past years. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Like basically, nineteen ninety five. Two Virginia guys out Tech with a, the two guys out with a broken fifth metatarsal. And, and <laughs> so so in all seriousness, guys have been dropping like flies yeah. in the ACC. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Brown today for Miami. Bruce Brown for Miami, who's an outstanding player. Yes, He's he really hard to stop getting to the basket. Clemson lost somebody, you know. Dante Grantham, yeah. And this is happening. It's Notre Dame's gotten, you know, riddled. Uh, so this is happening around the conference and, you know, knock on wood, uh, not so far with VT. So uh, I think that's a, you know, nobody ever wishes injury on anybody, but I think that's a good thing for Virginia Tech heading down the stretch. Virginia Tech was up 10 with basically a second left in the first half. <laughs> and then, uh, what was it Gibbs who hit the, I, I, hit the buzzer probably, beater? Probably. I don't remember who it was, uh, but – Virginia Tech fans are, if they're used to anything in basketball, it's uh, having opponents hit half court shots against them, <laughs> either at the end of the game or, but generally it's right before halftime. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens an inordinate amount against Virginia. Yeah, Tech. yeah, it really does, and it actually hadn't happened in a couple of years, I don't think. So uh, it was due. <laughs> so it was due. Yeah. And, uh, so and usually that's the harbinger of doom. Oh, it really is. I mean, if you told me before the game started that Notre Dame would hit a half court shot right before halftime and Kerry Blackshear would foul out with like five minutes left, I'd be like, "Well, how much do we lose by?" Yeah. And uh, but Virginia Tech held, held on and pulled it Speaking out. Speaking of KJ fouling out, Chris Clark as as uh, as many things as I saw wrong defensively, even though Buzz Williams thought he had one of his best defensive games of the year, I disagree. When I watch the game, I'm not a coach, so my opinion doesn't really matter as much, but. Chris Clark's ability to contribute on the glass. He had 12 points, but 14 rebounds. Mm -hmm. 
And how many points did he score in the final minute, two minutes of the he's, game? It was like six. He scored for ten of Virginia Tech's last twelve points of the game, including six points in the last twenty-three seconds. I mean, yeah. that's that's massive. <laughs> and, and you know, Tech only wins this, this game by five. And considering the circumstances, considering Notre Dame is is down two of their best players, mm-hmm. they're down three starters. Tech almost had to win this game. Yeah, you know, one of the questions about this year's team was when a game was going down to the wire, who who would be Seth Allen? this year and come up with critical plays down the stretch. Now, you know, Clark didn't hit a game-winning shot for Virginia Tech. Like, Although like, he did, he did he hit did one from of, outside. That he, he did. Really, really. When the shot clock was wearing down, yeah. winding down, he hit a jumper. And then he got his own rebound and, and had, hit a layup, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yes, he did make critical shots for Virginia Tech down the stretch, but, it, you know, it wasn't a buzzer beater like, like Allen would do last year. But he was the guy who got the rebounds. Uh who got uh who, who got made the important shots at the end of a game when Virginia Tech needed yeah. it. And, and and his 14 rebounds w- was big. I mean Notre Dame every single one of them even made with, four offensive rebounds. Yeah, even with Bonzi Colson out of the game, Notre Dame is still one of the best rebounding teams in the country. I mean I mean no, North Carolina is a great rebounding team, but I think Notre Dame out-rebounded them by like 11. I mean that's how good no Notre, Dame, Notre no. Dame is on the glass. And uh that's because they've got they basically had two two centers on the floor in that game. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I to a certain even extent, though a guy like Martinez Gevin, I think is how you pronounce his last name, is is a little bit more of a perimeter oriented big. They they rebound the ball well at all positions. Yeah, uh, yeah, they do. Yeah. And you know, just, just and they have length. Beyond that, I've been I've been watching Notre Dame since Tech entered the Big East back in the early two thousands, and and I remember being impressed. They're just smart. They just play good basketball. And the the first time that I really had that thought was I was watching them smoke some Ricky Stokes coach team in, in Castle Coliseum and Notre Dame came down with a defensive rebound and the ball did not touch the floor and they laid it in at the other end and I thought <laughs> holy cow that's a, that's a well coached basketball yeah. team yeah. and Mike Bray was with him by that time I think he's been there a long time so they're just a really he's, smart you yeah. know really good basketball he's team. an outstanding coach uh, you know he was at Delaware before he went to Notre Dame used to be on Coach K's staff at Duke uh, I, I don't know how old Bray is right now, but he's someone that whenever Coach K retires, you know Duke needs to seriously think about hiring. I think so. There's this legend that uh, when when uh, Jim Weaver was looking to replace Bobby Hussey, I mm-hmm. believe that Weaver had a meeting with Mike Bray. Mike was a hot property with mm-hmm. uh, with Delaware at the time, and and the legend is that and this is this is you know perfect Jim Weaver if you know Jim Weaver's history the legend is that they had a good conversation and then Jim floated the financial number and Bray said ha thanks but no thanks right yeah. um and Man, I, I can believe that that would have been a hell of a hire wouldn't it it would have been if tech uh, hired my Bray. I, you know and I, and I can believe that I can you can understand tech going cheap for a basketball hire back then because they were in the Atlantic 10. Yeah, 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 yeah it, but, makes, it makes sense. They were in the Atlantic 10. You never, you couldn't, it was tough to budget because the way the Big East uh, did their bowl money back then by, for football. I think by then Tech had gotten that Big East invitation or they were close to it. And Jim probably knew that. Well, I, I mean. But then they then they got destroyed on the on the Yeah, but, 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 like but Jim knew that they weren't going to share Big East money for four years until the 2018 and they were still right? going to be paying entry fees as it turned out Virginia Tech was still paying Big East entry fees when they left the conference I think to go to the ACC to go to the ACC but you know as far as you know football was paying so much of Virginia Tech's bills back then and obviously still are to a certain extent but the issue with the Big East back then is you never knew how much bowl money you were going to get every year because bowl money was not split evenly among all the schools uh, like it is for the ACC Back then, if you went to a BCS ball and got a $7 million check, 
and you were a Big East team. You were keeping that $7 million, I don't know right? if you kept all of it. You kept you, a lot of you it. You kept most of it, right? Yeah. So um, you never knew exactly how much money you were going to have it coming in on a year-to-year basis. So it's easy to say oh, they should have uh, broke the bank to hire you know, Mike Bray. Ugh. But there wasn't much of a bank back then, and you did not know how much money you were going to have coming in because you didn't know what bowl you were going to go. So there's to. another legend that uh, somebody interviewed back back in that day for the athletic director job at Miami. It, it may have even been Dave Brain. Mm-hmm. But the story came out that whoever this person was got to look at Miami's athletic budgets, and Miami had budgeted that BCS bowl money as, oh, as with the expectation that they were going to oh, get no. it. And, you know, back then it wasn't the huge dollars you hear thrown around today. It was 4 or $5 million. But uh, the budgets back then for schools were only about $20 million. So that, that was big that, money. Huge money, yeah. And, and if you know your, your Big East football conference history, Miami wasn't getting that money. You know, they, they finally got it in, I think, 2000, 2001, 2002. But, yeah. uh, so there's another story from the past. Kind of going back to this, this, this game in particular, Justin Bibbs, 20 points on 8 of 10 shooting, 5 assists. And when I was going back and looking at Justin Bibbs's, you know, numbers from the past few games, it's really been extremely hot or extremely cold for. Well, that's his career. Yeah, but but specifically, if you look at the last six games, he had four versus UVA, six versus Pitt, eighteen versus Wake. Then so, nine. so wait a minute, he had four against UVA, so he was Tech's leading scorer, right? <laughs> back to what I was saying, he had eighteen versus Wake. Nine versus Louisville, and then nineteen versus Florida State, and then he comes back versus UNC and scores eight. But the, all all twenty of those points for for Bibbs were really crucial for Virginia Tech, as he was able to not only score a bit in the first half, but also score a little bit in the second half when Notre Dame was making that run. Well, and he was eight of ten from the field, but he started eight of eight. He made his yeah. first eight shots, and he did end up four of four from three point range. That, yeah, that's right. And I, I think. Bibbs is one of those guys. He's been hot or cold his whole career. He knows that. He told me that in a post-game interview early in the season. He said he hopes it got a little more consistent for him this year, basically. I forget his, his exact words. My, my issue always with Bibbs was I, I accept that he's a hot, cold guy from a scoring standpoint. I mean, th- th- that's just the way it is. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, some guys are that way. What bothers me is, is always bothered me about him is – when he has an off night shooting, you don't see anything else in the box score. You don't see a lot of rebounds. You don't see assists. You don't see steals. Uh, Justin Robinson has had a great week, but Justin Bibbs also had a great week. He did not have a great shooting night against a North Carolina, but he had, what, five or six rebounds, four assists. He filled up the stat sheets in, in other ways. Also had a good night uh, with assists against Notre Dame. So, to me, I thought Justin Bibbs took a step forward this week as far as doing other things. Because, um, you know, your scoring's going to be there sometimes, and sometimes it's not. That's, that's just the way it goes. But you can do other things to, to help the team when you might have an off-night shooting. And to me, that's kind of a, a, kind of a – he's kind of a microcosm of Virginia Tech's entire team. I, I think – in in games where their shots you know weren't necessarily falling against Syracuse or or against UVA uh, against teams where they weren't scoring eighty or ninety points in a game they weren't playing defense either hmm. um, they weren't doing the little things that they needed to do to win when they weren't having a great offensive performance uh, and that's obviously something they've done a much better job of the last two games against North Carolina and Notre Dame was this really a must win for Virginia Tech? Notre Dame, yes, if you want to make the NCAA I kind of felt like it was, just given the circumstances. And, and 
even now, I, I'm, I'm not sure I would classify it as a must-win if Farrell and Colson were, were healthy. But with them on the bench and them sidelined and them in street clothes, I felt like Tech really had to have this this road win. Would have been a missed opportunity. Oh, so, huge. So huge. I, looked, I looked at real-time RPI, and, and I checked this two or three times, and I'm pretty sure that uh, I, I, I think they update their RPI daily, and I'm pretty sure that they said that Tech's RPI jumped 33 spots. With that road win, does that sound reasonable? Uh, it doesn't. No, they're still like no, it doesn't. <laughs> right, right now, I think or something. I, I but, know. But I kept you, looking at. They had the little double right. arrow and plus thirty three, or you know, and I'm just thinking, really, that sounds outrageous. Yeah, I use RPI forecast just because of the forecasting tools it has on there. Like, it's not important what your RPI is right now. It's what it could be in the future and what it's projected to be. Yeah. And Tech's expected RPI is is now up in the top fifty five, or, or you know, between fifty and fifty five. Area, which we'll, is a lot better than what it was looking like two weeks ago. Absolutely correct. So that that's your more important thing right now. Virginia Tech's non-conference schedule was so bad that right now their RPI still wasn't very good. But as they get deeper into their ACC schedule, their RPI will improve. So likewise, I think Wednesday night's game against Boston College, I don't want to classify it as a must win, but it would really be – it's one of those games – when you look on the schedule and you see games remaining against Virginia and Duke, uh-huh. you don't really and have Louisville. high – and I think on the road at Miami, right. you don't have high hopes for those games. Yeah. Um, and Boston College is better, and certainly Tech has had some some nightmare games up there. I looked it up, and Tech is three and eleven all time in Chestnut Hill, and that includes winning the last two. The last in a row. two. The only other win was the Hank Thorns game. Yeah, where, so, where so. he made a bunch of plays in overtime. And I remember games in the past where the the Jeff Allen Malcolm Delaney teams just mailed it in, just got destroyed up there. So that game makes me nervous. Uh, I can, you know, it's a nine o'clock game. Uh, There's going to be about fifteen hundred people there. Not going to be a lot of people there, you know, and and so I I I don't want to say must win, but I really want that one well, for this team. There, there's two things. All right, number one. In the RPI, a road win counts as 1.4 wins. Right. Uh, so it would be big from that standpoint. And number two, Virginia Tech is back even. All right. They've lost two home conference games, but they've won two road conference games. So they're back to even at zero. Win at Boston College, and you're plus one. Yeah. You have one more road win than you have home loss. Well, and if you stay plus one for the season, then you know you're going to go ten and eight in the conference. And oh, by the way, Duke's coming to Castle later this year, and Duke's a really bad matchup for Virginia oh, Tech. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Duke's a bad matchup for a lot of teams, but especially for VT. Yeah. Let's go ahead and stick on the resume. Tech is now 15-6 and six overall. They're, four, they're 500 in the ACC at 4-4. Four and four. Um, ESPN's Joe Lenardi, who obviously does his bracketology, and he you know does bracketologies in, in July for some reason. But uh, t- he has Tech as, in his latest bracketology, which was published on um, the 29th. Yeah. He has Tech in the first four out. Right. Um, that includes nine t- nine ACC teams in, and both NC State and Syracuse are actually the last four in. Mm-hmm. And Tech has a game uh, coming up against NC State. But the the thing I really wanted to focus on was these last two wins against against UNC and against Notre Dame. How really huge were these for Tech's resume? Notre Dame as, doesn't as mean anything. The March game. Notre Dame doesn't mean anything. They didn't lose it, so that's good. But Notre Dame's not a top fifty win. The the, the, the committee's not going to look at that game and say, "Oh, Virginia Tech beat Notre Dame." Notre but, Dame's thirteen and eight. But Notre if, Dame's going to finish like five hundred. But rate. if Tech had lost that right. game, exactly, well, of course, the but, resume would look but really, that, well, really well, bad. Right, right now. but that makes it no different than the Maryland Eastern Shore game. If they'd lost it, it makes you know it hurts, right? But it doesn't. The win doesn't help them, other than the standpoint they didn't lose. Um, what helps? 
resumes at this point from a winning standpoint is beating quality top 50 opponents, which is why NC State's included in Lenardi's bracketology with a 15-7 and record. They've beaten Arizona. They've beaten North Carolina. They've beaten Duke. You know, whereas Virginia Tech has only beaten North Carolina. Virginia Tech also has a current quality win against Washington, who's actually 50th in the country and in RBI right now. They're also but, in the, lot, the first four outright. Right, now. exactly. Who this? Yes. Right, right. But they're not projected to finish top 50 as they get deeper into their conference schedule. Yeah. Right. So right now you're still talking projections and things like that. And the reason Virginia Tech's not included right now is they don't have enough quality wins. The good thing about Virginia Tech's schedule is there's a lot of opportunities for quality wins coming up. At this point last season, I think Tech only had one top 50 win, and that was against Duke. But, you know, they finished with three or four, I, I think. So there's plenty of those yeah, opportunities Yeah, they, they beat left. Virginia in February. They probably beat they, Miami. They beat Miami later, in February the, the last season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The next three games that Virginia Tech has, uh, they have the 31st would be would be tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday at 9 p.m. at BC. We were talking about that. Saturday, uh, February 3rd at 2 p.m., sold out at, in Castle versus Miami. And then Wednesday, uh, February 7th at 9 p.m. at home against NC State. Uh, does Tech realistically need to win two of these three? I mean, you, you, or can't, maybe say, even you, all can't, three? you can't say exactly what they need to do yet because you don't know what they're going to do the rest of the year. Well, let's assume the road but trip. But trying to, to project it, do you feel like that that two of three is, is oh, about it'd be, what they it'd be need? ideal? Yeah, absolutely, would be ideal. That uh, would put them yeah. at six and five, correct? Right, and you yes. don't want to lose one of those home games because that's one point four losses at home, yeah. especially when you play Duke at home later in the year, and you're probably going to lose that one. So, if and you, you have Louisville so, at home, which is a potential loss. It's a potential loss. I do think Tech will win that game, but but you know, let's let's say, I, I think, uh, I think when you look at, let's say you lose to Duke. So that's three home losses right there. So if you lose to either NC State or Miami at home, then you at best you go five and four at home in the ACC, right? Um, and that's not good. Last year, Virginia Tech went seven and two at home. Yeah, well, I mean, and they it, won three road games. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, it, I think the schedule, the ACC schedule last year, was a lot easier than it was than it was. This it was year, somewhat but, easier. Yeah. It was it was it was a good uh, schedule, but it wasn't like. As hard as it, as it was this year, which it needs to be hard because the non-conference yeah, schedule was so bad. <laughs> yeah, Buzz Buzz was actually made a, a a small comment on the non-conference schedule on Tech Talk Live on Monday night, and he basically said that he didn't feel like the non-conference schedule wasn't bad. But when you look at all of the 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 teams in what the bottom two two hundred in the RPI that Virginia Tech was playing, if, if you look it weighs at the everything RPI, down. It's bad. Well, and, and also. Their premier non-conference game at Kentucky, well, guess what? Kentucky's not Kentucky this year. Well, they, they looked like it in the second half on Saturday night, yeah, so maybe but, they'll turn it up a notch. Yeah, maybe, but I was disappointed as of right Virginia, now, they're not. I was disappointed Virginia Tech didn't win that game because I thought at that time at that time of the season, Virginia Tech was a better team than Kentucky. Uh, they just won it. I mean, they scored 86 points. They just went in there and, and turned the ball over 19 times. Mm-hmm. They didn't turn it over 19 times. They could have scored 100 on Kentucky and won the game. Uh, so I was disappointed. I don't think Virginia Tech will be better than Kentucky in March or late February, but I thought for that point in the season, considering that Kentucky doesn't have one of those top five picks, they normally got like two or three guys picked in the top seven in the draft. Well, they don't have anybody like that this year. They've got good, very good players. I mean, they've got future NBA players, but not as many as they normally do. And I thought Virginia Tech, with Virginia Tech's overall experience level and the way they could score the basketball, I thought they were better at this point in the season than Kentucky was. And that's why I was disappointed to lose that game because I thought it was a real opportunity and that they just couldn't quite take advantage of it. And 
you know what? The selection committee is not going to look and say, oh, Virginia Tech played Kentucky on the road. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe that happens if your non-conference schedule is actually in the top 200, but it's not. It's like the worst. <laughs> I mean, even playing Kentucky yeah. is pretty much the yeah. worst yeah. Of, yeah. of all teams that are on the bubble. I think that's a whole separate podcast, the way Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's non-conference. We, we could talk about this going yeah. back to 2008. Yeah. Mean, this is a 10-year thing. Yeah. And, over, and two different coaches, which makes me think it's, it's more of a money thing now. Um, you think? And, and hopefully that problem is getting solved. I, I hope it gets solved. One of the things I'm really looking forward to is when the financial figures come out, and they typically come out in March. Mm-hmm. Is that right? When Randy Jones writes an I article I think it's more like us. May. I can't wait to see what Virginia Tech's revenue figures are for this year and what their profit well, figures well, are. Well, it'll be for last year's. For last year, yes. yeah. But, but but last year was when they launched the drive for 25 mm-hmm. and, and donations went up. So this will be included. Um, so, I don't know. Hopefully uh, they'll they'll just do better going forward. How much did the, did these last two wins against UNC Notre Dame maybe boost your thinking that Tech at least has a, a decent chance to make the tournament if they if – they, play better down the stretch now when i wait a minute let me talk so go ahead <laughs> um, things were pretty grim looking after the florida State. oh game. yeah yeah I, I remember all three of us on the podcast were sitting here saying that but i but i kept my mouth shut because they've looked grim before and uh you just got to kind of wait and see how it plays out and uh i just posted a little bit on our site about how tech does in in post january games and in the last two years under uh buzz williams Two years ago, they won their last five regular season games, and last year they won five out of their last seven. Now, some of that is a function of schedule. Uh, I can't remember which year it was. Was it last year where, where the schedule in January was just brutal and Tech lost seven out of eight or something like that? But you knew it might go like that. That was your last year or the year before. So as bad as it looked against Florida State, I wasn't going to throw in the towel just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, sure enough, they went against UNC, and they went at Notre Dame. And so let's let's just see how it goes from here. I, I, I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic, that they'll continue to finish well. Because if you listen to Buzz's comments, he's always adjusting his behavior. And we talk about this all the time. Does Is he mellow on the sidelines? Is he fired up? He has a one thing that one of his strengths as a coach is he has a really good barometer on the mental state of his team and what they need. And that's not something he decides in November. He decides it on a on, on an ongoing course Day-to-day throughout basis. the season. Yeah. yeah. So um, as bad as it looked after Florida State, there's a lot of basketball left to be played. I wasn't going to say I wasn't worried, but I wasn't ready to jump off a bridge. I mean, I mean you're right. It was two years ago. I think they won the one out of eight games yeah. o- over a. Uh, over that stretch, and their one win in that stretch, I think, was against Clemson, and it was kind of a last-second type of win. That was, I think, that was at Clemson. Oh uh, no, it was here. It was, was the, it, here? it was a play where Zach Ladey laid out towards half court to get a loose ball, and got the loose ball, and somehow they found Jalen Hudson underneath the basket for a dunk, and I think we won that game by by, by two points. Right. And and, and uh, Buzz called that the play of the game afterwards to in front of the media, but uh, but anyway, later on that season, Virginia Tech rebounded by winning their last six games. And, you know, basketball season is – there's a lot of peaks and valleys. And I've been covering ACC basketball now for 13 years, man. I've seen this every year. 
You know, I mean, there are some. I was more worried about how they looked defensively than I was about a two and four record. I'm not worried about the two and four record. I mean, Tech started one and two in the ACC last year, just like they started one and two this year, and that includes a thirty point blowout loss to NC State, who was a bad team last yeah, year. Yeah, that was uh, right, other right. than Dennis Smith, they didn't have. They a, were bad. They didn't have Their anybody. coach got fired. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> not, they were not a good team, but they beat Tech by thirty. But people weren't jumping off a bridge last year for some reason. Uh, I guess because. I, I don't know. Tech hadn't made the NCAA tournament in 10 years. But now they made the yeah. NCAA tournament last year, so you get off to a tougher start than you expect Everybody this year. Everybody sees so it as expectation are... now instead of a, a goal or a hope. Right. Well, everybody's like Chris Farley with you know with the little biscuit and, and Tommy Boy. You know, he's, he's got his pretty little pet, you know. And so they're excited that Tech's in the NCAA tournament. And, and <laughs> if they you haven't want... heard Tommy Boy. Or, I mean, if you haven't seen Tommy Boy, you probably should. You don't get that reference. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they just uh, – Probably the mindset, whether Tech fans realize this or not, is they had a lot to gain last year. Mm-hmm. This year, they I think they feel like they have a lot to lose, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they don't want to go back to being an NIT team, right. even though these things ebb and flow, you know. Yeah, especially if you're a program like Virginia Tech that has really kind of – the your, your peaks are only so high in, in terms of your uh, you, well, historical precedent. Exactly, and based off last year, Tech sold a lot of season tickets as – this year, they sold out a lot of games. I think all but two ACC games up to this point are, are sellouts. Basically. Yeah, the, the NC and, State game, which is at 9 p.m. on a weeknight, isn't sold out. And, and then there's another one on a weeknight. Maybe Clemson or somebody out. like that. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, so they're selling a lot of tickets this year after an NCAA tournament appearance last year. They have not made back-to-back NCAA tournaments since the 1980s. So, I mean, while it feels like that, you know, yes, last year was a step forward. I mean, they could still take another big step forward this year by making back-to-back NCAA tournaments. I mean, that'd be the first time that's happened in over 30 years, which is a big and, deal. And then bringing back enough guys next year where, so you, you know, could do the real do it again. I was not alive the last you were, time. You were not alive. You know, I was, I was, I was looking at some advanced stats this morning. And from an advanced stats perspective, uh, in the two metrics I, you, I looked at, the two least valuable members of the team, and I'm just saying this from an advanced stat standpoint, the two least valuable members of the rotation are Justin Bibbs and Devin Wilson, which are the two seniors. So they, from an advanced stats perspective, they bring back all of their most important pieces. Yeah, yeah, they do. Right. And they add Ty Outlaw to it. Right. Um, so And, and Hadim C for, for whatever that's worth. Right. You know, he needs to come a long way as a player before I'm going to say, and Hadim C! Right, exactly. You know, yeah. um, so. e- 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 yes, but I mean, having another 6'9", 6'10", guy off the bench instead of 6'6", or 6'5", P.J. Horn. Yeah, I love the way P.J. Horn plays, but he, but he just looks small. Well, he needs, yeah. to, he needs to be an undersized 4 instead yeah, of undersized exactly. 5. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, but he, he, his, his, that's not his, how the Buzz Williams system runs. Man, P.J. Horn's three rebounds against North Carolina in four minutes. Boy, he cleared out space as much as he Makes could. Makes you wonder why he doesn't play more. I was just watching him thinking, man, if that guy was 6'9", holy cow. If he was 6'9", he wouldn't be here. Well, he would have had a bunch of different offers, <laughs> man. Just like great... Kerry Blackshear, if he was athletic, yeah, he wouldn't right. be here. He'd be a Duke. Well, he'd be in the NBA. <laughs> he'd be playing next to Marvin Bagley. Um all right, so let's go ahead and wrap it up with basketball. The other main thing that I want to hit on this podcast, and this broke literally before we started recording. We had a little bit of delay. And when we started recording the podcast, and that was a good thing because Virginia Tech announced that they were hiring Adam Lechtenberg as the 10th full-time assistant coach on the staff. Um, basically, you're only allowed to have 10 guys go on the road in recruiting now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was nine. They bumped it to 10, and now Adam will be one of those guys. Um, Adam was hired in 2017 as a director of player development here at Virginia Tech. Uh, Adam worked at TCU and Memphis with Fuente. He was a, a walk-on defensive back at Nebraska, right? That's right. That's right. Um, 
He served a couple of small roles at some small colleges like Central Connecticut State and, and, and other schools of that nature. Um, just general thoughts on the hire? Uh, I think it makes sense. I, I think everybody was – I think most fans – from from an outside standpoint, are expecting some kind of flashy hire with, yeah. with a guy who's an experienced recruiter and has signed big name guys before. But that doesn't make sense from a Virginia Tech perspective. I I, I don't necessarily I, the key to recruiting. I think is knowing who you are and not trying to be somebody different. And I I don't think flash necessarily gets Virginia Tech where they want to be at this point in time. I mean, before they started pulling in the Kevin Joneses and the D'Angelo Halls and the Xavier DBs, they had to win a lot of games over. The a better part of a decade, of yeah. right? They had to win a lot of games doing it by the evaluation route. And whenever you ask Justin Fuente about recruiting, the first thing he talks about is how the most important aspect of recruiting is evaluation. And the first thing he said about Adam Lechtenberg today is that he's a great evaluator. So when you consider what Justin Fuente considers the most important part of recruiting, it makes complete sense that he hired Lechtenberg as his 10th coach. It gets another coach out on the road because he was not allowed to be out on the road before at his previous role on tech staff. It gets him out on the road, and he's able to evaluate now, which Fuente considers the most important part of the recruiting process. So when, when you think about all that, this hire makes more sense than any other name anybody's thrown out there. So, so let me add something to that. Um, first of all, the exact quote is, I, was, I implicitly trust his judgment and skills as a talent evaluator. Right. His job title is assistant head coach slash executive director for player development. Mm-hmm. What is missing from that job title is any day-to-day coaching responsibility. Right. Game planning, coaching a position. How many schools are hiring that 10th guy mm-hmm. and having him be – an extra defensive line coach or defensive backs coach uh-huh. or something like that. The way I read this is Lechtenberg has zero responsibilities when it comes to yes. quote unquote actually coaching. But as you pointed out, he can now go on the road. Right. He can go on the road a lot because he does not have day to day responsibilities. It sounds exactly. like his, it, it, just by judging from the release, it sounds like his day to day responsibilities that don't involve recruiting will be very flexible. Yes. And that they will be kind of just putting him wherever they need him for, for a certain. If they need him at a game to do X, they'll, he'll do X. If the next week they need him to do Y, they'll do, he'll do Y. Uh-uh. And, and, and before games on, you know, Friday nights and Thursday nights when the team is practicing and walking and doing walkthroughs and, this, that, and the other. He won't be with the team because he'll be on the road recruiting. I'm guessing yeah, so, what he – So let, let's add to that. Um, one of the things that's going to help Virginia Tech excel when it comes to recruiting is not just getting a three-star player, but getting a three-star player who has the right personality, uh, conducts himself in the right fashion, has the right attitude about things. And these are really hard characteristics to evaluate. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking – He's probably, like any NCAA coach, he's going to be restricted with as far as how much he can talk to the player and talk to the family. How much is he going to be able to go out and talk to the coaches, even if he doesn't see the players? He can talk to the high school coaches. What's this kid really like? Right. He can ask you know anybody peripherally associated with the player what's he like. And he'll have time to do a lot more digging and learning about that kind of stuff. You know, when we interviewed Jim Cavanaugh last year, it really struck Cavs me. Cavanaugh exactly what I was thinking about yeah. just now. It, it struck me exactly how much time these coaches have like a regular coach will go out and evaluate recruits on a friday night before a game but kavanaugh used to say you know i'd go for the first half but you know we had a noon game the next day i had to be back in blacksburg at some point so i'd spend you know he'd spend half the night on the road and now 
you know, with, with the extra assistant coach, you hire a guy like Lechtenberg who doesn't have any positional coaching responsibilities, then you know he can spend the whole game evaluating a recruit. He can spend the night there if he wants to. He and can talk watch to how coaches. he behaves after the right. game. Right. There's so much more he can do now because he doesn't have to get back to Blacksburg first thing in the morning to coach defensive line. Right? right, and you see all these other schools adding a tenth, tenth assistant, and that's what they're doing. They're he's gonna they're adding him, and they're gonna split the defensive line in half, and they're gonna have a defensive tackle coach and a defensive ends coach. And I always assumed Virginia Tech would do something similar, but I was wrong. I mean, th- this I think it's more flexible. I think Virginia Tech will get more out of their tenth assistant than, than other programs. Does it worry you or either of you guys that he doesn't have any experience recruiting at the Power Five level? Neither did Fuente. And Virginia Tech just hired, just signed their best recruiting class from a rankings well, perspective. In Fuente 10 years. was the offensive coordinator at TCU. Yes, he was, but that was before TCU was a Power Five school. Where were they in the Mountain West at that time? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But he, but I, I don't know. I feel like TCU is a lot different than it, it is serving as the offensive coordinator. I believe it, it was what it was at Central Connecticut State yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, but but you know, I think recruiting is recruiting. And he's been around Fuente for for so long. Uh, he's been around programs. I mean, I I don't think it's that I don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, one one thing I want to be clear about is we're we're um, it sounds like we're applauding the hire. I think we're pointing out the strengths of right. it. Right. But when you get right down to it, you know, we don't know how well this is going to work I don't out. Know. He may be great at it. He mm-hmm. may be average at it. Who right. knows? I can see what Fuente's thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, at least he's being consistent to himself, like right. you pointed out. Right. But, you know, honestly, you, you really won't – here we go again. You really won't know until two or three, four years, three or four years down the road. The, the argument against it is this staff already has a whole bunch of coach who, coaches who are really good talent evaluators, in, in my opinion. And, and, and at some point, you know, doubling down on that doesn't make as much sense as – Bringing in a coach who is a closer, a flashy who, who recruiter, is like maybe bringing in a coach who is a five-star defensive end's dad, for right, right, or, so, or something like that. <laughs> right, Pete Henry, yeah, I think, yeah, is yeah. who we're referring right, to. Right, right, exactly. But the, the thing, the thing about guy assistants who are known as great recruiters, they rarely stay at a school for more than two or three years. So here's the know? thing: so if we're, we're going to poke fun at not hiring Keith Henry, mm-hmm. at least now you know what Justin Fuente is thinking. Yeah. Um, I'm not just he, he probably evaluated Keith Henry not just from the standpoint that he has contacts in Western North Carolina and has a five star defensive end son, but he probably evaluated him for this role that he's having uh, Lechtenberg fill. Right. And it didn't quite do it. For I, him. Well, I mean, that's what I heard. He just felt like they thought about the Henry thing, but they just felt like he wasn't good enough for them. So they didn't for hire the long term plan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a totally totally fair. Um, you know, fair Take. judgment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even if you know, on the yeah. surface, Keith Henry seemed like maybe an experienced candidate right, to, right. to to work at a power right, five right. school. And you know what he's doing makes makes sense. I mean, it, it's true to his core values. It is. Um, and when you start, I think when you start struggling, and when is maybe when sometimes when you get away from your core values. Uh, I don't know where this article is. I don't know where I read it, but I, I remember back in the day reading something about Arizona and their football program, and this is back in the day before Rich Rod and everything like that. But they had a couple of good seasons in a row, and they thought they were expanding their national profile. I think that was early 90s when they had that Desert Swarm defense, right, whatever right. that was. The, yeah, they, they, they thought they were ready to expand their national pro- recruiting profile because they had a bigger name than after a couple of good seasons. So they decided to recruit nationally and go head-to-head with a bunch of big programs and 
they'd lost out on all those recruiting battles. And that was back when everybody decided on signing day. So, or, or, or within the month before signing day. Yeah. So here they are maybe when they get to signing day and they're down to plan D guys because all their plan A, B, and C guys had decided to commit to the big-name schools that they decided USC, to go head-to-head with. So they yeah. signed an awful recruiting class, and it set their program back a decade probably. I mean, because they tried this new strategy, and it just completely backfired. They, they got away from what got them to where they were. So I understand that you have to be really careful when, when you when you try to take it up another level. And uh, if Virginia Tech decided to just offer all four- and five-star recruits, they would miss out on a lot of they them. would miss out on 90 <laughs> percent of them, of them. And, and they would be left scrambling for to stealing James Madison and UVA rejects on signing day That's, right which you don't want any part of so you got to be really <laughs> been there done that been there yeah you, you don't want any part of that and you got to be really careful when you decide is the right time to take that next step and I don't think tech is there yet I mean, I, I think they have to win for multiple years before they can start getting the D'Angelo Halls and the Kevin Joneses again. No, it's, because it's the Frank Beamer model, right? You know, it's what worked before. It's, it's what worked. I, before. I hate to sound that way, right. But I get it. It's what worked before. Yeah, you, you have to know who you are. I mean, I had a conversation this past weekend with a guy who is very—he's involved in the college basketball recruiting process, and, and we talked about the Josh Hairston recruit, recruitment to Virginia Tech. And Josh Hairston was a five-star basketball player who had family connections to Virginia Tech, was being recruited by Virginia. Virginia Tech heavily. Uh, basically, he was coming to Virginia Tech, and there was no second choice. He comes on a visit and leaves and basically says, you know, within a couple of days I'm going to commit. I just got to go back and talk it over with my family and things like that. And Virginia Tech had, had spent a lot of time and, and resources and effort into his recruitment. Was this under Seth Greenberg? This was under Seth Greenberg. And within two or three hours of him leaving the Virginia Tech campus, he gets a call from Duke and wanting him to that? take a visit. He visits Duke, they offer him, and he goes to Duke. And Virginia Tech and Duke recruited him for two days. Virginia Tech recruited him for two years. Right? Right. That's a kick in the stones if there right. ever was one. Right, exactly. So you have to understand who you are and the type of players you're most likely to get and that you're most likely to succeed with. Because if you try to if you try to outkick your coverage, so to speak, then uh you're going to get burned, and you're going to end up worse for it. You you have to you have to understand the right time to, to when to try to take that next step. And I don't think the time is 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 now for Virginia Tech. They're going to have to win more. The key for the key for Fuente will be parlaying the multiple years of winning and multiple ten win seasons into a national recruiting profile, which is something that I think the three of us agree Frank Beamer was unable to do, or or, or didn't or didn't put enough emphasis on in his tenure. He wasn't able to take. The national title appearance and the multiple the multiple seasons in the top ten, the multiple ACC titles, mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to parlay that into a bigger recruiting profile. Instead, he you know he kept with what he knew. Right. Whereas when when Fuente, if he's able to get to that point where he's winning ten games for two or three straight seasons, he wins an ACC championship. He wins the Coastal three out of four years or something along those lines. Fuente needs to be able to parlay that. Right. into that national recruiting profile that you were talking about. And there's a, there's an intermediate step. Unfortunately, when you say national recruiting profile, they don't even have that kind of profile in their own state anymore. Right. You know, so many of yeah, the top Yeah, that's 10, very true. So many of the top five aren't seriously looking at him anymore, and that's a throwback to the late 80s, early 90s when they weren't looking at him. And, and Frank got those kids to start looking at the school. and So that's the intermediate step. 
All right, folks, so this has probably been one of the busiest, I guess, 24-hour periods in Virginia Tech football news, at least in the last year. We've Quite all a while. Had, Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. seems that way. We've Certainly had, in 2018. <laughs> we definitely, we've had Adam Luchtenberg hired as the 10th coach. We found that out right before we went on air for this podcast. After we recorded our original, you know, run for this podcast, then we found out that Justin Fuente was getting his contract extension, which really we shouldn't be surprised. Virginia Tech is, must have known we were taping our Exactly. Podcast. This is the second uh, contract extension he's had in two years. And so, folks, we are taping this again after our original taping for the podcast. That's why you will not hear Mr. Head Honcho, Will Stewart, here on this, on this uh, part of the podcast. But we felt like we had to add this part in because this is a really big deal. I mean, Fuente gets his second contract extension in two years. Um, in terms of the numbers... There's a modest bump in terms of pay raises. So basically, he's going to make $4 million, uh this coming season, uh, and he'll make that for next season as well in 2019 uh, by the end of his deal in 2024, which obviously we're not going to get to that point. Right. He'll make $5 million, uh in total. Uh, the buyout numbers, basically, if Virginia Tech uh, wants to fire him, which I don't think we expect to happen anytime soon, uh, it's going to cost them about uh, $12.5 to $15 million over the next three years. And then if, if he were to leave after 2018, um, the buyout is $5 million, 2019 $3 million, 2021 million, and then after that it's under a $1 million for the buyout. And again, all of these numbers could easily change in, in 365 days it seems like, but what are your general thoughts on, on this deal and with offering him a second extension and getting it done? Yeah, that's Two extensions in two years, right? I remember Frank Beamer's old contract. I don't think that, I don't think his last contract, but his next to last contract at Virginia Tech was like a rollover type contract. <laughs> I think, so it extended by a year automatically yeah. every year. So it was always a four year, four or five year contract or something like that. Uh, and it was real simple for all parties. Uh, and they rene- renegotiated the salaries if, for him and his assistants several times, but they didn't take out the rollover yeah, clause. It, and uh, to me, that's kind of like what they're doing with Fuente now. It's technically not a rollover co- contract, but if they're going to extend it by one year <laughs> every year, it kind of has the same effect. And I, and I think when it comes down to it, Virginia Tech does not have the money to spend that LSU, Florida State, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, those schools. Yeah, totally. they, they don't have those. Yeah. The, the, so they have to. Uh, Lincoln Riley is already making more than Justin Fuente at Oklahoma. Is he really? I'm pretty sure. He okay. Is. Uh, I, I could be wrong on that, but I well, think that, he's. But, well, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you have to stay out in front of things if you're in that position. You have to show people that you appreciate them. You have to uh, be uh, out in front. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Proactive. Proactive is the exact word <laughs> I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, uh, you have to be proactive when it comes to things like that. And uh, I, I think if you're Justin Fuente, it'd be really hard to leave Virginia Tech. Um, you and and he's not going to leave unless it's for the absolute right. Fit. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's super hung up. We've on, already on covered fit. that ad yeah. nauseum here. Right, on the podcast. exactly. So, base basically, he signed up through twenty twenty four. That's what the current and deal he's is. Gar- basically, guaranteed what twenty four twenty five. Is it thirty million? How how much is this total deal worth? Um, uh, well, if you if you try, if you I mean you try and put it all together here, the average annual value is somewhere around four point two five and four and a half million dollars, okay, so. and it's about a a, seven, a six to seven year deal. So yeah, he it's he, about thirty million, yeah. but about I mean, okay. So you're it, guaranteed to make thirty million dollars at Virginia Tech, and basically. and if Virginia Tech were to fire him for some reason without cause, yes. Uh, yes. in the first two years, that's fifteen million that Virginia Tech is going to owe Justin right. Fuente, right? Um, the, I'm glad you mentioned the assistant part because that's another part that Fuente was able to get in this contract extension. 
another pay raise bump for for his assistance. Um, Bud Foster now making nine hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Brad Cornelson uh, making just shy under five hundred thousand dollars. James Shebus is at four hundred forty five thousand. Galen Scott, who is now the co defensive coordinator, that's something mm-hmm. I want to ask you about as well. He's at three hundred thirty eight. Uh, Charlie Wiles, Brian Mitchell, Vance Weiss, Holman Wiggins, Ben Hilgart, and I'm I'm interested that Ben Hilgart is also included in this. And then Zon Burton are all also at 280. Yeah, and that's a big pay bump for Zon Burton because it's well. He was at 200 flat, and it yeah. is well deserved. He was uh on the staff. He was brought in on the staff for Frank Beamer's final season, and then retained by Justin Fuente. So he just finished his third year on the staff. So when he first got hired, he was hired at under 200 grand well behind all the other assistant coaches. And he's done a good job with Virginia Tech. He's done a good job recruiting the 757. He's coached two different positions. I think once once they finally got the running back rotation settled at the end of this past year, you saw Virginia Tech's running back yeah, playing well. Exactly. Um, so I think I think he's been a good addition by, for Virginia Tech. Uh, he was recommended to, to Virginia Tech by Jim Cavanaugh. Um, so – I definitely think I'm really glad to see him getting bumped up. Like he's that. he's been a vital part of Virginia Tech. Um, I'm not sure if repairing is the right word, but strengthening the Tech's relationships yeah. with schools right. down in the seven five seven. I mean, as we know, Virginia Tech was able to recruit the seven five seven at the end of the Frank Beamer tenure, but they were still struggling to pull in a lot of those top kids. And and yes, Virginia Tech is still missing on kids like a Taraja Mitchell, who was a four or five star mm-hmm. kid. From Bishop Sullivan, but Zon Burton was able to get a guy like Devin Hunter. They got Devin Hunter, who they wouldn't have gotten two or three years exactly. ago. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no yes. chance. And he's able to go into Georgia and get a four-star running back like Jalen yeah. Houston because he has a previous relationship with a high school coach. I believe he was uh, he was recruiting the state of Georgia for Old Dominion when he was coaching there. So I think he's a very, very valuable member of the staff. What do you think about Galen Scott being co-defensive coordinator? This is the first time Bud has shared the title uh, since right. 1995 yeah. when he shared it with Rod Sharpless, <laughs> uh, who went on to become the defensive coordinator at Rutgers, I believe. Thought he was taking a step up. Yeah, <laughs> interesting dynamics in the world we lived in but back then. What do you feel like this says about... Uh, not just Galen Scott, but maybe Bud Foster's future. Well, I, I've always thought that Galen Scott was the heir, was the heir apparent to Bud Foster. Yeah, but the fact that you know Scott and Fuente used to be roommates before either one of them got married. Uh, I believe he was the defensive coordinator in Fuente's last year at Memphis. I've always considered him to be the heir apparent. I, I think Fuente values his football mind. I think the defensive coordinator should always either be a linebackers coach or a safeties coach because. Those are kind of the quarterbacks of the defense. Well, you, well, that and you understand pass coverage and run fits. That's true. Like uh, a guy like Charlie Wiles, who, who I think is a is a fantastic football coach. He's all about run fits. You know, he might not have the complete understanding. Uh, he's not as experienced in and, coverage. Yeah, or, yeah. Right, just right. because but, he hasn't he hasn't had to work with it. Right, right. But but if you're if you're a linebackers coach. Then you have to coach your linebackers in uh, in coverage. You have to understand coverages. You have to understand run fits. And the same thing if you're a safeties coach, and especially and get, in Virginia Tech's defense, but, as but, much as safeties are used in the run. You're game. exactly right. And get, you know, Galen Scott has has coached linebackers in his career. Not at Virginia Tech, but he's coached linebackers in the past. He played linebacker in in college, um, and he and he's coached safety uh, safeties uh, in, at the college level as well. So I think he has. Uh, of all the coaches on of all the defensive coaches on the staff besides Bud Foster, he has a better understanding, better a more complete understanding of defense than, than probably the other coaches on the staff. And, yeah, and the fact that uh, you know he's he's going to have 
time to learn under Foster. I mean, he just finished his second year under Foster. Yeah. Um, Probably it's a, it's yeah, a pretty darn I th- good apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah it's a very good apprenticeship, I think. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it's setting setting up where he's going to be the heir apparent to, to Bud Foster, a defensive coordinator, whenever Bud decides to hang it up. Do you think that this uh, move and this um, kind of promotion in terms of name of the position, he's still going to be serving the same job, basically? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't see but, any roles changing. But, but, but do you think that this is a sign that, that Bud's tenure is – you know, at least it coming to an end in the very short future. Well, we're closer to the end of Bud Foster's well, of career than we are in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is very true. I don't. Bud does not strike me as is a type that's going to hang on until his late sixties or early seventies, like you see some coaches do. Interesting. I, th- I think he enjoys his life at the lake house. Uh, I, who wouldn't? I, who wouldn't? Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I don't. I don't see Foster being one of those types who is going to stay past his prime. I think, if anything, he will get out earlier because uh, I just think he's set his life up here very successfully in Blacksburg. And I think he'll – I don't think he's one of – I don't think he's the type of guy who's got to hang on. I talked to a TSL subscriber um, yesterday, which would have been, I guess, Wednesday when this news broke. Or Tuesday, actually, right? Yeah. Um, I, I talked to him when this news broke, and I told him that – I actually thought that Bud was is going to stick around for about four more years. Mm-hmm. I feel like Bud sees this Justin Fuente kind of ship. He he you know he he sees this bandwagon and, and sees that he has a chance to, to to get one more shot right to be nationally competitive right. And by that I mean we have a legitimate chance to win the ACC and we have a legitimate chance to maybe make the playoff. I yeah. think he sees Justin Fuente as his last his last shot at that. Sure, and, uh, and I think he's going to stick around until he feels like okay, it didn't work out. We tried. I had another run, or they actually do it. Yeah, or yeah, or, or yeah. they actually do it. But I, I don't think he's going to quit short of that. Yeah, I think uh, even if he's you know obviously you know he coached all year on a bum knee and you know he's you know he's getting up there in age. I know he's not sixty he's yet, late but 50s, yeah. yeah, I think you know I think he's certainly. After spending so much time in the Beamer era, where he carried his defense, carried the oh, teams. Oh man, yeah. Um, I, and last I, year they kind of carried the team. Yeah, they they did. I I think he wants. Uh, I think he wants to give Fuente an opportunity to build the offense, to uh, bring his own players in it, have a full four years yeah. to, uh, of recruiting to fill up the offense with his own players, and, and then go from there. Uh, I, I, and. So we'll see. I don't have any predictions on his future or anything like that, but I don't think you know he'll be coaching at Virginia Tech in his late sixties. I'll say that much. Last thing on this kind of contract extension, because uh, we're, again we're, we're not all that surprised that this happened. But how big is it for for Virginia Tech to not only be proactive in getting Justin Fuente his contract extension, but also getting those salary raises for his assistants? Because we know how much. Fuente values continuity. Yeah, I mean, he's very much like Frank Beamer. I wrote an article yesterday that said, look, the, really the only differences between Frank Beamer and Justin Fuente is that uh, Fuente is a, a little more personally involved in recruiting. You know, Virginia Tech doesn't have a recruiting coordinator because Fuente is basically the recruiting coordinator from yeah. what I can tell. And now it sounds like right. Adam Lechtenberg is going to assist in that assist role. Assist in that role, right. And uh, and and now, uh, well, excuse me, what, what else was I going to say there? Oh, I was going to say uh, he knows more about offense than Frank. That, that's yeah, his, that, those, yeah. Those are the, that's fair. Those are the two differences between the guys. And and Frank, when it's all said and done, will have had Bud Foster for more years than Fuente will end up having Bud Foster. Yeah. Um, but they're very, very similar coaches. They do value continuity on their on their coaching staffs. And, and they want to hire people around them that, that, that they're comfortable with. Um, 
and you, you know that that works. I mean, it, it's all about it's all it's all about staying true to yourself. You can't get outside your comfort zone as a coach. But if you do that, I think you're going to start to to fail. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a totally fair point. I think it's interesting that um, I, I, I'm not sure what the statistic is that, about this across the country. But, I mean, Virginia Tech has to be only one of a handful of schools that's kept their entire coaching staff intact for the last two seasons. I'm not sure that that's really normal, especially in this day and age. And 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 now that you had everyone hire a 10th assistant, a lot of schools were plucking assistants from other schools. That's right. And to have three assistants from the old staff on the current staff, Bud Foster, Charlie Wiles, and Zon Burden, that's pretty much unheard of. And and Torian was going to stay at first. Yeah, it seemed like, but uh, that then took the job from Florida and is now with the Redskins. Um, so yeah, I, I think it certainly is a big deal, and I, and I think throughout history, whether you've seen, well, maybe not throughout history. I think for most people, history starts with Frank Beamer, but it, it actually doesn't. Believe <laughs> yeah, it or not, there were true. football coaches at Virginia <laughs> yes, Tech before true. Frank Beamer, but it started with Frank Beamer, and it is extended through Justin Fuente. You, you don't see members of that core group wanting to leave. Yeah, very yeah, often. yeah, it's true. I mean, Holman, uh, I'm pretty sure Holman Wiggins has had opportunities to maybe go be an offensive coordinator at a smaller school. Um, Andy Bitter reported Yeah, as I was say, Andy Bitter went yeah. on our board yesterday and reported that um, that Galen Scott had offers as a defensive coordinator at other positions, and that was part of the reason right. that he got that co-defensive well, coordinator title. Yeah, put yourself in a head coach's shoes. You know you're never going to be able to hire Bud Foster, right? Uh you're not even you're not going to be able to hire Charlie Wiles away from Bud Foster. Yeah. So what do you do? Go you, get his, you, his you, subordinate. Right. You, well, you you go get the most hire, hireable defensive coach on the staff, a guy who's been a defensive coordinator in the past and who has now spent two the last two years as an apprentice, basically, as you said earlier, to uh, to Bud Foster, the best in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that, that would make complete sense. I mean if you're an opposing. Uh, if you're a, if you're a head coach out yeah. there looking for a defensive coordinator, definitely it, it definitely makes a lot of sense. It, we'll, we'll have to see if this contract makes it enough, makes it 365 days. It wouldn't shock me <laughs> yeah. if 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 we're back on the podcast a year from now talking about another contract. Well, that extension. means Virginia Tech had a good year if that happens. This is true because what, and what what also this tells me is, you know, it, this it's it's not like Virginia Tech is like breaking the bank on this per se, but it is a fairly substantial pay yeah. increase yeah. overall when you take it all together. Um, so that means a couple of years ago, Virginia Tech, you know, ran in the red financially for the first time in, in a long time since before Jim Weaver was here, probably. This tells me that they're very much back in the black, I believe. I think they're in very good shape right now. That would not surprise me with, with I mean, all, the men's basketball is doing well, very well with season ticket sales. Right, drive um, for 25. The football had, attendance was was up again this mm-hmm. year. The drive for 25, obviously, is, is having a lot of success. And, of course, they sponsor TechSideline.com. But, um, yeah, I would totally agree with that. It does seem like the athletic department is on good footing for the most part, mm-hmm. and that's why Witt is so comfortable making these financial commitments to not just Fuente but his assistants as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and, again, it's it's not one of those things he had to do. Yeah, I don't think Fuente right. was going to yeah. jump out and leave. Yeah. Um, I mean, Fuente had, a, it's had an opportunity like a, two, years, two years in a row to go – possibly to schools that would pay him more than Virginia Tech could pay him. And again, it all goes back to what you were saying earlier about being proactive. Yeah. It all goes back to making sure Justin Fuente knows just how much Whit Babcock wants him there, just how much the rest of the athletic department wants him there, and just how important he is to the athletic department by continuously showing him that you're willing to acquiesce and give him, whether it be more compensation for him, 
um, more compensation for his staff, increasing support staff. They hired Justin Hamilton, a former Virginia Tech player, mm-hmm. yesterday to the defensive support staff. So though all those kinds of things are, yes, there are tangibles there, but there's also the intangibles of it in terms of making sure that that relationship stays on good footing. Yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, we're, we don't get to go in there and, and be around those guys on a day-to-day basis, but I get the sense that the relationships over there between the, the head coaches and the athletic director across all sports seem to be per, very strong right now. Yeah. And yeah. I believe a couple of years ago when uh, he extended Buzz's contract, I, I believe Buzz's exact quote was, I appreciate Witt being proactive. I believe I believe Buzz said that directly, if I'm not mistaken. So I think they know exactly what they have in with Babcock, and and that and that that's that's another thing. If you if you take the risk of leaving Virginia Tech right now, are you going to work for somebody as good as Babcock? It's going to be hard to find that. I mean, I I think Wit is is I'm not sure what his reputation is nationally, but I know that in good. terms of the it's ACC, in terms of the region. I think everyone is seeing what Webb Babcock is doing and realizing that he's really got his, his stuff together yeah. and that he's been able to kind of turn this department around in terms of facilities upgrades and in terms of the teams in general and not just the two revenues. Yeah, you know, we talk about Justin Fuente uh, turning down schools that could pay more than Virginia Tech, but uh, Webb Babcock has done the same. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, what a unique uh, situation. You, well, what a u- unique profession college sports is. When, all right, Webb Babcock is the boss, but – he makes less than Justin Fuente, and he makes less than Buzz <laughs> Williams. He makes less than the people that he has the power to hire and fire. Yeah. That, that would be like really you and me making more money than Will. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense, but but that's just the way the college sports is set up. Yes, it, it definitely is different. It's crazy how, how much money has gotten into college sports. But All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Again, we're sorry that we had to add kind of uh, put an addendum to this podcast, so no Will Stewart for this part of the segment, but... We will be back next week. We're going to have to recap National Signing Day. We're going to see how Virginia Tech finishes up with that. The other National Signing yeah, Day. Yeah, the, the, the real National Signing Day that is no longer the real National Signing Day. But, again, for, for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, and for myself, Ricky the Blue, thanks for listening.